Well, where do we start? What have we got this week, Stewie? On this week's show, the VFL says N.O., the Windy's too good for England, the Townsville Taipans, and more injury madness hits round six of the AFL. Let's go. We start with some very sombre news this week with the sudden and sad passing of Alex Chumpy Pullen at the young age of 32. Chumpy won two World Snowboard Cross titles, two overall Crystal Globes and seven World Cup gold medals. And in 2012-13, Pullen created history becoming the first Australian winter sports athlete to defend a World Championship title. In 2014, he was Australia's flag bearer at the Sochi opening ceremony at the Winter Olympics. Unfortunately, he passed while spearfishing, a great outdoorsman. Yet another champion taken far too early. Well, as we do at the top every week, Stewie, what caught your eye and what did you miss? Well, actually, what caught my eye was something that I saw just a couple of hours ago. Went over to the folks' house to have some dinner and we chucked on Foxtel and caught the first final of the 1988-89 World Series cricket between nice, the Windies and Australia. Nice. Yeah, the Aussies actually made 204 and restricted the Windies to 202. It was a, a really interesting match and just great to see some of those fantastic old players, you know, like your Merv Hughes and your, I suppose, obviously, for the Windies, you had players like, like Ambrose and Walsh and Richie Richardson, Viv Richards. They were... Classic players all over the place. It's been a really, really great game to watch. And I suppose it was probably a decent score with longer boundaries and such. Well, yeah, longer boundaries, no ropes. There were a lot of no balls that were probably missed as well. <laughs> the fact that they were basically playing with pop sticks instead of bats compared to what they use today. So, yeah, as they said all the time there, they probably were 20 runs short. But right. no, as it turns out, they were pretty much two runs ahead of where they needed to be. So really, really great game to watch. Indeed. How about yourself? Well, after bringing up local sport coming back last week, something caught my eye this week, which was quite funny. Uh, at McLaren Vale Oval in South Australia, there was a bloke by the name of Mark Curtis who was playing his 300th game, and the team and his wife erected quite a interesting and funny banner, which read, Congrats, Curto, 300 games, 30 reports, three flags, zero pre-seasons. <laughs> Uh, and seeing seeing a photo of the bloke zero pre-seasons wasn't all that surprising, I dare say. He's probably sunk a few and had a few pies as well. But he actually kicked 10 in the game. He normally plays down back. He kicked 10 in the game in a 143-6 defeat of Victor Ooh, so, Hummer. So a close one then. Yeah, yeah, nail-biter that wow. one. A real nail-biter. Jeez, that's, that's fantastic. So I suppose that's what we saw. What did you miss, Nath? Ah, well... As I can hear the rain pouring down on my roof outside, I unfortunately missed the Windies England cricket match. <laughs> we were down the pub for day one and I was hoping to catch some of the action, but sadly it was all washed out. Apparently there were some really moving tributes and some discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement uh, with Michael Holding coming to tears apparently, mm. but I missed that as well of course because the sound was off. Um, so yeah, that's what I missed. Yeah, Still. I saw some parts of that and it was yeah, very moving and such a, an interesting time with all of that going on around in, in the world. So, What about yourself, mate? Well, I was actually at a two-year-old birthday party on Saturday, so I actually missed most of the Fremantle-St Kilda match. And, <laughs> uh, although when I turned it on the radio at quarter time, I didn't think it was going to be really missing that much. So luckily for me, I checked the score with a couple of minutes left and got to see the ending. And after overindulging in cheesels and cupcakes, a good sit-down was very much welcomed, I'll say that. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, Dewey, nothing like a good chisel. I do enjoy them. Quick little news roundup before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show. In the F1, Lewis Hamilton won the Styrian Grand Prix. 
Oh, good for him. <laughs> On to tennis news. Sam Stoza welcomed a beautiful baby girl into the world with her partner Liz. Uh, upon birthing the child, the baby was easy enough, but the tennis racket was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> and then finally, in track and field news, not so fast, Noah Lyles. The 200-metre world champion thought he beat Usain Bolt's record for the 200 metres with a time of 18.9 seconds, less than the 19.19 that Bolt holds the record for, but it turned out that actually he had the wrong start line and ran just 185 metres. The eventual winner, with a time of 20.65 seconds, Francis Christophe Lemaitre. 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 Christophe. Lemaitrex. Yeah. So I thought he knew a shortcut, but it turned out it wasn't, yeah, wasn't quite right. That's right. Oh dear. That's right. And now, this week in sport history. Yeah, we start off with an interesting one from 1911. So on July the 7th, in the Wimbledon Women's Tennis Final, Dorothea Chambers became the first player not to concede a game in a Grand Slam final, beating Dora Boothby, 6-love, six 6-love. Six wow. July 7th, 1978, the NBA approves a franchise swap between the Buffalo Braves owner John Y. Brown and Harry Manjurian and Boston Celtics owner Irv Levin. Levin moved the Braves to San Diego, where they became the Clippers... And Brown and Manjurian got Larry Bird. Yeah, this actually happened about a month after they drafted Larry Bird, so slight mistake, I would imagine. (laughs) Moving on to July the 8th. In 1994, preliminary trial rules that there is actually enough evidence to try OJ Simpson the day before his birthday. July 9th, 1968, Wilt Chamberlain becomes the first reigning MVP in the NBA to be traded the following season when Philly traded him to the LA Lakers. And my favourite, July the 12th in 1979, Disco Demolition Night at Comiskey Park. Fans go wild destroying disco records and cause the White Sox to forfeit the second game of a doubleheader to the Detroit Tigers. So what they actually did was, in honour, I guess, of the fact that disco was dying, they asked everyone to bring their disco records in and they were going to destroy them in between the games. And the crowd jumped onto the pitch and basically just destroyed they the whole thing. They got a little thing. too excited. They did, they did a little bit. Disco really was dead. It was. This week in sport history. Well, very exciting news, Stewie. Test cricket is back. Finally. Now, as I mentioned, I didn't get to see any, but you got to see a bit. Yeah, I did. I managed to, to watch a, a fair bit of it, which was, was great. Great to see the Windies finally winning a game in England as well. Yes, well, it's funny you mention that, and I'll get to that stat in a sec. But a quick little summary. England, England managed 204 in the first innings after being 5 for 87 at one stage, so they recovered a little to have a somewhat defendable score. Windies replied with 318. England managed a much better total in the second innings with 313 in their second dig, but again had a bit of a splutter uh, when they lost 5 for 30 at one stage on day four. And then the Windies managed the win thanks to 95 from Blackwell, who was dropped on five by Stokes, 20 by Butler, and Burns on 29, though Burns was probably a no ball that one. The Windies have never failed to chase less than 200 to win a test, according to NASA Hussein. That sounded surprising to me. but That hey. is surprising. Yeah. You, would have th- you would have thought somewhere in the 80s, there would have been one where they got bowled out for 106 or, or something ridiculous like that. 
<laughs> so, Stewie, here's a stat. England has lost the first test in seven of their last nine series, and it looked like that might have changed because the Windies didn't start well. No, they didn't. Two for seven after a few overs. They also lost another one of their openers to an injury. He copped a ball on the foot from Joffre Archer. I think it was the first ball of the innings. Should be playing for them. Should be. But uh, yeah, things were starting to look a little bit rough. And uh, Blackwood was absolutely sensational. Very, very calm. He did get a couple of lives, obviously, you know, getting dropped on a, a court behind by a Butler. So it's interesting you bring him up, Stewie. Do you reckon Butler has just this series to prove whether or not he's a test player? Because he's been pretty shaky with the bat and he's not great with the gloves. He's a great short-form player, but is he a test player? It's a really interesting question. It, it is funny how somebody can be so devastating in the short form of the game, an absolute game-changer, and then struggle to make runs. He's certainly not a wicket-keeper. I, I certainly don't think he's he's the answer as a, a wicket-keeper. I wonder why is Bairstow injured? I don't understand why... why That's Jenny a good Bairstow, question. Yeah, yeah, I'm not me, sure, actually. For me, he's a much better keeper. Obviously, he's much better with the bat as well, certainly in, in the long form of the game. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think there's there's every possibility that if he doesn't start making some runs, he, he could be on the move out and someone... I, I'm hard him. on Matty Wade as being a not good enough glovesman in the test arena. You're fine in the short form, but not good enough in the test arena. But he's actually been backing it up with the bat. Butler's not really done enough of either. No. So he might be on borrowed time, you wonder. Oh, I think I think he is. Well, I've actually got an, an interesting stat for you as well. It was something that didn't quite make the cut for this week in sports history, but on the 10th of July, 1884, we actually had the first test played at Old Trafford. Shock horror, the first day was washed out. This <laughs> brings me on to something that I know that you are absolutely over-the-top passionate about. Oh, yes. It's the talk of four-day tests. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So they got a result, obviously. But if it had only been a four-day test and it started on day one, they certainly wouldn't have got a result. They would have barely got through three innings. I, I find that the ICC, I mean, they've had, at risk of beating this, the same dead horse, they've had some blunders of late. The World Cup final was farcical and the rules are absurd there. And it feels not so long ago that they were talking about the potential for timeless tests. And now there's all this buzz about four-day tests. In, in an England albeit summer even, how many four-day tests would they actually get through? You wouldn't think any, really. There'd be a lot of retaining of ashes rather than winning ashes in on that There, there would be. I must admit, I hadn't actually heard about the timeless tests because you go back through the archives. I've, I've heard of tests that had gone for 12, 13 days, tests where teams had nearly missed their boats back to their, their country, <laughs> actually, because of just how long these things had gone for. Yeah, look, I don't know how serious it was, but it was something that was kicked around in the last few years, the idea of potentially bringing back the timeless test. And then all of a sudden, they seem to, they seem to have changed now to the four-day test. I think it would be the beginning of the end for test cricket if Absolutely. they changed to four-day test. I think it would be a terrible, terrible idea. We'd have far fewer results and a draw as a result, I guess, but it's not one anyone wants. Uh, I just think it's a terrible idea. And I think that in some countries you'd be okay, but in places like England, you might be lucky to get one out of three games, for Mm. example. Yeah, well, any sort of flat track, you'll probably struggle to get a lot of results other than draws. And we did see, obviously, we were very fortunate getting to watch the Australian team when they were going through the the McGraths and the, the Warns and the Pontings and all of those guys going through their prime. And they won a lot of tests inside four days. So no issues back then, but unfortunately that's not the age that we live in right now. And you're right, I think it's it would be well and truly the beginning of the end if they saw something like that come through. And it's a great point that you made. All it takes is half a day of rain 
and you're losing results. Well, we got we didn't get much play in day one at all. Seven, um, 17 overs, I think Yeah, it was. not much Something at all. Like so. So, so had the game started on that day like it did, and it was only four days, it'd be 0-0 zero, zero still. And as I pointed out, history very much shows that it rains in England. <laughs> That's what happens. But with that being said, Stewie, to kind of harken back to last week, uh, you could say that the Windies have one hand on the uh, the, the ball brown, holder the, the, trophy. The, oh, the ball holder, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it might have been the fuller Saggers trophy, but uh, look, there's there's some absolute crackers out there, and look, good on them for for taking the first test. I mean, this is definitely a series that you want to draw first blood in. Um, only being a three test series, it, it definitely means that whoever loses the first one is always going to be on the back foot and. Winning the next two will not be easy for England. They're missing a lot of their big-name players. I noticed that there were at least probably four or five players that didn't play in the Ashes. So, there's... Well, that's a really good point. So obviously the captain, Joe Root's out. It, it sounds like he'll be coming back for the second test. Will Denley be the one that makes way for him? Because here's a stat for you. Of the 47 batsmen to have played for England since 2000, so in the last 20 years, only three have had worse averages, and all three of them at least had a tonne in Milan, Compton and Jennings. So is he on borrowed time too, or indeed is he done for Root? Well, yeah, I mean, you'd have to imagine that... Sorry, just when you said, is he done for a Root? Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> it's, a, it's a humorous double on top yeah, of Yeah, Joe Root, of course, but, Captain Joe Root. But no, I think he, you're right. He probably is on borrowed time. I don't think he's he's the answer for them at the, the top of the order or, or certainly in that, that sort of three or four spot. It's it's very much looking like he, that's a, a pretty easy straight swap, and you know for Root at least he gives them the option with the ball as well. He's you know fairly handy. He's taken some some decent wickets over the years, so I think he definitely adds a little bit more to them. And you know he can he can tie up an end and maybe not leak too many runs as well. So um, yeah, I think that's maybe not a bad swap for them. Did you get to see Denley bat much? Because something that we noticed during the Ashes last year was that he's constantly turning his head to to fast bowlers. And he was just a concussion waiting to happen because he doesn't keep his eye on the ball and he's really shaky against short pitch stuff. I didn't watch that. As far as I know, though, there, there wasn't really much. It seemed like Joffrey Archer was really the only one who was putting in some the real short stuff. The Windies didn't seem to to do a lot of that. I think Shannon Gabriel had nine for the match. Was absolutely fantastic. And Jason Holder was was sensational as well in the. Uh, he had five in an innings, I believe. He had six. Six. Yep, he had six in the first, and Gabriel had the other four. So. Yeah, those two were just doing it with line and length. Um, the odd variation of bounce, but nothing nothing too much. There weren't too many that were sort of flying past the grills. But look, it's it's a fantastic start for the Windies and honestly, just great to be back in watching cricket again. I'm absolutely over the moon. And test cricket too, the purest real form of cricket. It's yeah. great for test cricket to be back. And it's the first time they've gone up 1-0 in an away series since 2007. Hopefully this is the resurgence of the West Indies because, let's face it, world cricket is much stronger when the Windies are playing well. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, going back to that game that I was speaking about before that I watched, you know, I named some of the players like your, your Viv Richards and your Richie Richardsons and so on. Jeffrey Dujon behind the stumps? Dujon behind the stumps, Carl Hooper, ah. Gus Logie, Gordon Greenwich. There were, there were so many fantastic players for that team. and getting to see not only, obviously, the amazing bowlers in, in Walsh and Ambrose and Marshall and Bishop, but seeing a batting lineup that goes all the way down to Bishop at number 10. I mean, Bishop made 33. He was the top scorer in that game for, for the Windies. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely a, a much better landscape around the world if the Windies are relevant. 
And Jason Holder's a great captain for them too. Uh, kind of in the mould of Darren Sammy, the all-rounder, the lead by example. You know, he's, it seems like they're in good hands there too. Yeah, he really leads by example. He's an absolute workhorse. Yeah, the amount of work that he does with the ball, but also being the number one all-rounder in the world as well. Yeah, that's really, right. really handy with the bat. He was a ahead of Ben Stokes. Yeah, yeah. De- well, he's. I don't think he's too far ahead when when Stokes is firing, but he's yes, certain, he yep. certainly is ahead. But for me, yeah, he just has a really great mentality. You go back a few years and you see some of the collapses that the Windies have had, where they've maybe lost their head, played average shots, and then all of a sudden the whole team just drops. He's the guy that holds them together. He's that really great glue guy. And I think he's done an amazing job. And he's probably a, a huge part of the reason that the Windies are back where they are. And I, I look forward to seeing the rest of the series and seeing how well he leads them. Because, you know, once they get Joe Root back, England become a, a slightly different team. Oh, absolutely. And, and no, they become much stronger. They with certainly Joe become Root. much stronger. And a historically bad handshake at the beginning of the match after the toss between oh, dear the two. Lord. Social distancing. Like a, it was like a, a really bad version of rock, paper, scissors, wasn't it? <laughs> well, let's hope that the Windies can win the ball holder cup, Stewie. Uh, in basketball news, a couple of quick little transactions, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Shyla Heal has been named into the Opal squad. She, of course, being the daughter of the great Shane Heal and current Perth Lynx player. I've had the pleasure of seeing her play in person. Very young, but great news. Uh, always great when a second generation comes through. Yeah, definitely. It's fantastic. And this is one of the great things about as you sort of getting through your 30s and into your 40s, we're starting to see it all across the NBA. We're starting to see it in the NBL. And obviously Half now, of Collingwood's bloody team is father-son, it feels like. And this is very true as well. We see it across footy as well, where we see players coming through that have had famous fathers. So it's yeah, really, really great to see. And Katie Ray Ebsery as well, another Perth Lynx player who's made the Olympic squad. So there's, uh, there's a lot of really great talent coming through. I mean, Liz Cambage will be the, the centrepiece, obviously, but there's some other great players as well, that, like a Tess Madgen and uh, Jenna O'Hay, who's absolutely fantastic as well. So there's some, some really, really strong players for the Opals, and they could certainly give a, a medal a really good shot whenever the Olympics actually go ahead. Oh, we'd, need, we'd absolutely need a medal. It's a must in the women's game, I would say, mm. and, and silver just about uh, just about. It's the bare minimum. In. Absolute yeah. bare minimum. That's the, the, that's the expectation. A couple of other departures in two different ways. On one hand, Nick Kay has left the Wildcats, as we feared. Uh, a year early, he did plan to go to Europe anyway. He signed with Real Betis, and Ty Wesley has retired from the NBL. Yeah, the Ty Wesley one was a really interesting one. I only just saw this one, and apparently it's a lot of it to do with COVID. It's a, it's a crazy thing, though, but he's, he's actually cited that he wanted to go back to America because he's actually originally from uh, from the state of Utah, but he cited his desire to start the next chapter of his life. So he and his wife, China, uh, they didn't want to move their three children overseas from America back to Australia during a pandemic because America's doing so well with that right now. <laughs> well, I guess it's probably a long-term decision moving beyond COVID, but uh, yes, they're not in good shape and they won't be for a little while no, yet. No, but uh, mind you, Utah might be. I, I'm assuming he's gone back to Utah where he's from, but... It's a, it's a real shocker. And look, Ty Wesley was an absolute champion of the league, a two-time champion with the New Zealand Breakers and Melbourne United. And I, I, I believe, a little bit of a microwave off the bench at times. He was, yeah. Very very much instant offense, really underrated three-point shooter. Excellent passer too. Very good passer, yeah. Had some great post moves as well. So um, unfortunately, yeah, that probably leaves a little bit of a hole with Southeast Melbourne Phoenix as they move forward. But mm. all the best to Ty Wesley for the next chapter of his, of his life. And then some very interesting news out of both Cairns and Townsville in the NBL. 
Yeah, frustration's absolutely reaching boiling point up in Cairns at the moment. So there's been talk on the cards now for a few years. I think 2018 was when they first started talking about the upgrade of the Cairns Convention Centre. They've actually just started this now, and unfortunately it's not due for completion until February 2021. But the season's actually starting in December, so it's looking like for the first maybe half of the season, the Cairns Taipans are going to be playing out of Townsville, which is very much enemy territory. Um, so it'll again, this is another one where it'll be interesting to see what this means for the Cairns Taipans and, and what it means for the, the players. It's about a 350-kilometer trip down to Townsville. Oh, just, just don't throw away. Well, certainly by Australian standards, it's not massive, but... <laughs> You know, if you've got things going on over the weekend, you probably don't want a 700k round trip just to watch a, a two and a half hour game of basketball. So, <laughs> with ten minute quarters, mate, they're well, like even, one hour, even, even less. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the centre's owned by the Queensland government, so it's it's a very very tricky one. So, there've been a lot of outspoken players. The absolute most would be retired captain Alex Loughton, uh, who we frequently mentioned we went to high school with. We had the pleasure of playing with. Played a, and played a bit of basketball with him. So yeah. um, he has been a, a staple of, of Cairns for, for quite a while. Very, very great in the community up there. And he's just you know, echoing the, the community of Cairns by saying that they've had a gutsful. They really can't believe that this sort of thing is happening in this day and age where they've had all of this time to sort this out. And unfortunately, because of they're, they're blaming it on COVID. And, you know, he made the great point. There was no COVID-19 in 2018. So why were things being delayed then? Mm. So Yeah, I, and, and I guess after Townsville exited the competition not so long ago, uh, hopefully this doesn't put Cairns in doubt. We've talked already about Cairns potentially being a bit shaky going forward anyway. So yep. it'll be a real shame if what's been a really strong Queensland representation over the years is dwindles down to Brisbane, who's only been back for a couple of years. Mm. But hey, on the other hand, could this be the resurgence of Townsville coming back? So this gives us a chance to kind of reflect on initially the Townsville Suns and then the Townsville Crocs, a team that the origins actually date back as far as 1986, which I didn't realise. So they were, they were in the works that early. But then they had their first season in 1993 as the Townsville Suns. Yeah, right. I, I didn't know that. So they had seven years of planning before they, they came in. Yep. Uh, former Brisbane Bullets guard Mark Bragg, who was their foundation coach, I remember began ca- began campaigning the NBL back in 1986. Wow. There you go. That's that's news to me. But no, the, uh, the, the Suns were always an interesting team to watch. I mean, Ricky Jones is certainly the first memory that I have of them. Tearing down rims. Ter- yeah, tearing down rims. He, I think he took one out in Townsville and also one in Gold Coast. I think everybody had a go at the, the Gold Coast ones. I think they were the ones that were screwed into the roof of the... Of yeah, the that's stadium. right. Yeah, yeah, hanging on by, on by a couple of strings. Yeah, yeah. so there were Mike a few, Mitchell, Mike Mitchell had one, yeah. There's... A tiny pinder broke one in Gold Coast, if I'm not mistaken, ah, didn't true. He? I think he yeah, might that's have, true. yeah. Yeah. But uh, but no, the the Townsville Suns, yeah, very much a, an, an up-tempo sort of place to, to play. Really, really bright arena as well. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was yeah. a really bright arena, but <laughs> they had some great players. I think they had the first, well, I think it was the first European import in Remus yes, Curtinitis. Yes, the curious case of Remus Curtinitis. Yes. The he league. was the first non-United States-born import to play in the NBL. Very go. rare. Often it would happen the other way. Aussies going to Europe. Mm. Well, not rare, like one-off. A European coming to Australia. Very bizarre. It, it was. It was very bizarre. And also to, to have him go to a smaller market, maybe not going to a Melbourne or a Sydney. He was a great player to watch, but a lot of other you know, great players over the course of Who was of that bloke? Was it Clarence Thomas? Uh, Clarence, Clarence Tyson. Clarence Tyson. He yep. was a handy big man. So they went from... They had some good big big men imports over the years, they didn't did. they? 
And then, of course, in 1998, they changed their name to the Townsville Crocodiles, I guess in honour of their mascot, the Croc. He was one of the best mascots that the league has ever seen. Probably the best, actually. I'm not sure I can think of a better one. I mean, the Wildcat, obviously, is great. He's well-known. But I think the Croc and some of his courtside shenanigans were always great. He would always have a an inflatable version of the team that they were playing, and he'd be you know, doing elbow drops and all sorts of things onto it. He was, he was classic. So. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Clarence Thomas is a Justice of the Supreme Court, so there's a, there's a good name <laughs> mistake there. But um, they sadly didn't win a grand final. They were runners-up in the 2000-2001 season. Quite a memorable uh, series, that one, against the then Wollongong Hawks. Yeah, the, that was the Damon Lowry year, I guess, where he had the... I think it was in the semi-finals, he had those three free throws where all three of them hit every part of the ring before dropping. Yeah, that's... I think it was against Adelaide. Yeah, it was Adelaide, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yep. so that's what my memory th- says. They've got some great memories, and, and it certainly is an interesting place to play. And It's kind of bittersweet for Townsville, and, and it's great to see them getting some games played there, but certainly not at the expense of the type ends. And then I'll, I'll give you some honour roll uh, information here. So they had three MVPs for the league. Robert Rose in 2001, Corey Williams, now commentator, of course, 2010, and Brian Conklin in 2015. I completely forgot about that yeah, one. Yeah, no, he was the one that busted uh, Damian Martin's face. Oh, he was too. That nasty screen. Yes, he was too. But he was a good player when he was uh, there. Ian Stacker won Coach of the Year in 2003. Our own now Trevor Gleeson won it in 2011. And Sean Dennis in 2016, former Wildcats assistant, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Rookie of the Year, Brad Newley in 05 and Nick Kay in 2016. Yep. And then they've retired two jerseys, Stewie. Okay. Trivia without notice. Can you name the two players? I mean, I feel like Ricky Jones would have to be one of them. Afraid not. Right. Wow, okay. Well... I mean, is it is it someone like is it Remus Curtinitis because of the the <laughs> No, I think he only played one season oh, there, true, so I don't true. know if that was long enough. Well, I suppose with longevity, then Robert Rose would probably Robert have, Rose. To be, have to be one of Correct. them. Correct. He won the club's best uh, for seven seasons running. Okay. So that was pretty good reason. Then I wonder if it was someone like a John Reilly. Well, that's a very good guess, but no. Peter Crawford. No. Wow, I'm drawing, I'm drawing blanks on this one then. The zippy young guard, David Blades. David Blades. David Blades. I would assume it's maybe because he played a lot of games for them. I know he was a foundation player, but I can't imagine he would have averaged the sort of numbers that you would usually have in a retired player. But Well, they're the, they're the two only retired jerseys. Well, there, there you go. You could have had me going at that for an hour, and I probably still <laughs> yeah, would. Don't worry, I would have, I would have struggled probably too. Probably still wouldn't have got it, but there you uh, go. But they, yeah, the, the big men, you know, Larry Abney was another good big that they had. Uh, they, they just managed to recruit some really good big men over the years. And then in NBA news, I guess we won't kind of dwell on this for too long but Rage and Rondo's broken his thumb which hurts the Lakers that are already very thin at the point guard position yeah this is a huge loss for the Lakers unfortunately with Avery Bradley deciding to stay back at home this leaves them incredibly thin in the guard position I actually don't think that the Lakers can win this thing LeBron's pretty much going to have to go next level playing like a point forward position I had a quick look, and the the players that were that they had, I think Quinn Cook is is a replacement guard that they can potentially use. Caruso. Alex Caruso can potentially handle the ball a little bit, but yeah, I think LeBron's probably going to be handling the ball for a fair bit of the game now. They may put the the ball into a Kyle Kuzma's hand. I, I'm not sure, but do you think this hurts them more defensively, or do you think it hurts them more offensively? I wonder if it will hurt them more on the defensive end when you include. I think the Bradley as Brad, well. Yeah, Bradley definitely hurts them a lot more on the defensive end. 
I think with Rondo, what it gives you is somebody with pretty decent chemistry with someone like a Dwight Howard. So, Although there's no well, guarantee he's coming back either, which this, also... This is true. This is also another, another key thing. So yeah. um, I guess you know if those two do play, you've got Rondo, who one of the greatest passes that, that we've seen, certainly in this generation... You've got Dwight Howard who can still get up and throw down alley oops. So they, you know, they've got a really great pick and roll that they can use. But yeah, I, this really does throw the advantage straight across to the the other side of LA to the Clippers, who already, as I predicted, and I will stick with my prediction, uh, had the upper hand by playing on neutral courts, I believe. But I heard a great story about Rondo recently. He apparently is so good at scouting and is so adept at knowing the opposition. That on the on the defensive end, he will tell blokes from the other team when they're out of position because he knows their own place. <laughs> wow. He knows their own place. He's a lock for being a coach in the future. He yeah, has, that's an interesting one. He has to be. That's a I, good one. I liken his mindset to someone like a Sam Cassell where they both seem incredibly cerebral. They see a lot of stuff on the court. I mean, Cassell was obviously more of a, a shoot first, pass second, or pass third probably. But, uh, <laughs> but the, And certainly Rondo is very much pass first and second. But... Yeah, I can see similarities in the way that they see things. And Cassell, by all accounts, has been a fantastic assistant. I believe he's with the Clippers at the moment. Uh, he's bounced around a little. He might be back him. with them. He certainly yeah. was with them. I don't know if he's still with them now. but The Nets have signed Jamal Crawford, and they're also looking at Michael Beasley, it's said. And obviously, they've been decimated as well, speaking of teams that have been decimated. Yeah, they have. I actually did get to see a little bit of footage of Jamal Crawford and what he's sort of been doing off the court. Very, very typical herky-jerky sort of movements on the, on this practice court, but it's always easy doing that when there's nobody... Well, I should say it's it's easy. I, I can't do it, but I imagine it would be much easier for him doing that without anybody in front of him, but you know, you put a, a packed-down defense in front of him. The guy's 40 years old. He's probably going to be coming off the bench giving them relief minutes, maybe you know three, four-minute bursts at a time. Yeah, but also with Irving out and stuff, he might weirdly be playing 20 minutes a game. True, and I suppose it's easy to forget that he became the oldest player to score 50 points in a game with Phoenix at 39. So, yeah, that's interesting. Michael Beasley's such a frustrating player. Well, get this, get this, right? So if he does come back, he has to serve a five-game suspension for the substance abuse policy. Oh, wow. And there's only eight games before the playoffs, so he might only get three games if he does, in fact get signed with them so that probably lowers the the amount that he'll be involved with the team look he may be one of these guys that comes in and catches fire he's he's always been an instant offense sort of guy very much not the case on defense never really lived up to his potential he really didn't i believe he was number two pick and two or three for miami yeah yeah he was certainly a, a, a top three pick i think he was number two but yeah just unfortunately never really lived up to the to the potential and the hype unfortunately i think the drugs are very much what's smoked his career, but... Could be, could be. Uh, and then J.R. Smith, after only just kind of signing with the Lakers, has got in a bit of trouble for bitching and moaning too much about the conditions of the hotel at the hub. Yeah, beggars usually can't be choosers, but it appears that J.R. Smith thinks that he can be. <laughs> this I'm is... ama- like I said last week, I'm amazed LeBron even wants to still play with him, and he's already causing waves. So. Yeah, this may just be a case of you know subtraction by addition almost. They probably looked at it and said, well, we need more shooting off the bench. Smith, as we know, is a guy that can come in and catch fire and potentially take one or two games out of a series away. I remember the the series against Atlanta a few years ago where he had eight threes in about the equivalent of maybe a quarter and a half. So he's, he's a guy that can catch fire, but 
just not really the sort of mentality that you want to be bringing into a, a championship caliber team. And unfortunately, he's with them and he's already creating waves in the first, what, two days? I dare say LeBron would have rather Jamal Crawford than J.R. Smith. Probably yeah. not a bad point. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, interestingly, we're going back again to the 88-89 World Series match between Australia and the West Indies. I mentioned a little bit earlier that the game was very different back then. It was also interesting to note just how different the fans were back then. Oh, yes. Obviously, a lot of short shorts, <laughs> a lot of people not wearing shirts. But what I found really interesting were a lot of the, the banners, and that was something that I used to enjoy about cricket was the banners. A couple of them that really stood out for me, though, was one that said, Belt that up, you ginger. Jeez, <laughs> okay. And another one that said, What a poontanger. Wow. Okay. So, political correctness not exactly high on the agenda back in the late 80s. And Well, look, I can't be too judgmental, Stewie. Some of our best banners that we've done over the years. So, if you recall, way back in the day, obviously prior to his passing, Hansi Cronier had a bit of a ball tampering scandal where he was using his foot to try and manipulate the ball yes, a little bit. I remember this. So rather than Hansi Cronier, we did a banner that said Footsy Cronier. Yep. And a little disclaimer on this one. I think we we're only in grade six at the time, but uh, we did maybe paint a banner that said Sean Pollock has no bollocks. <laughs> I do remember. Which got stolen, i got to yeah. say. So it should. It was but, a but I tell you, we were, we were bloody the most popular kids at the ground. Like people would walk past pissing themselves. Pollock has no bollocks. That's the sort of thing you'd get in England. <laughs> you know, which is, I, I guess that's why they stole it. We climbed some place we shouldn't have been to hang it up. So it got good visibility, hoping to get it on telly. And then at, at the end of the match, when we went back to retrieve it, it was gone. So some buggers had stolen yeah. it. And then our other one was, uh, if you may recall the time when, uh, well, it's unclear whether it was Warney or not, but there were some comments picked up in a stump mic about uh, Scott Muller. Can't bowl, can't throw. Yes, I remember that. Um, Joe the cameraman. And, uh, and also there was some other swears. So we did a banner that said Shane Warne special comments. And uh, that one was funny too. That was the first time I met Warney. I've met him a couple of times. But I ran down to the boundary and said, Oh, Warney, can you sign our banner for us, mate? And he's like, Oh, yeah, as long as it's not anything bad, is it, boys? Oh, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. So so we had a printed off face that we stapled to the banner, which was all the rest painted and Shane Warne's head signed. Hopefully still at our friend's house. I have to ask him, actually. Thank God he didn't read. I think you've actually forgotten another one of the Hansi Cronier banners. What's the other one? Hansi the Builder. Oh, Hansi the Builder. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. We'll have to try and dig up some photos and put on our social media. Because this was after the the match-fixing allegations. Yeah. It was, I believe it. Oh, uh, we had some good years with banners back in the yeah, day. Yeah, so I remember this one where you, you guys painted a, a picture of Bob the Builder but put Hansi's... That's right. Again, in. we printed off the yeah the glossy head on top of the rest yeah. painted on the sheet. So, yeah. Some absolute classics. We'll try, I'll try and dig up some photos to put on our social media if I can. So in summation, one of the greatest injustices in the world of cricket was them getting rid of the banners. I'm sorry if I hijacked your segment there, Stewie, a little bit, but it just reminded me of all the funny banners that we've done. You've been involved it's, anyway. It's easy to get excited about that sort of <laughs> stuff. So, But no, that uh, I must admit, though, seeing a couple of those, belt that up your ginger, and what a poontanger, bloody hell. Bloody hell, indeed. Bloody hell. Football codes, Stewie, let's start with, let's start with the NFL. A uh, bit of a Redskins update. So we discussed last week the possibility of the name change. After we recorded three minority owners of the Redskins, including the FedEx chairman, and again, they were partners and sponsors of the stadium, he had a 40% ownership, threatened to jump ship, 
And I think this finally forced their hand because it's come out today thanks to Shefty. Uh, oh, was it Shefty that broke this one? Well, one of the uh, someone broke it. Uh, but it's come out today that the Redskins will change their name. Now, they don't have an alternate name as yet. The Red Tails is one possibility, but I reckon the Washington Generals. Well, there's already a Washington Generals team, is there? Well, not? I was I, kind of making a joke I, there. I believe, yeah, I was making a joke there because they're are, pretty are they, average. Are they, are they shit? They are, well, they're pretty average, yeah. And Dan Snyder's not too loved by the fan base either. Well, there so, you go. So he's yeah. probably viewed as a bit of a clown anyway. Yeah. So. Uh, interestingly, no, I, I also saw that the Atlanta Braves will not change their name in the baseball. Mm. So that's interesting too. And I mentioned Arliss and I was talking about the Cleveland Indians, but it might have been the Atlanta Braves. It was one of those two baseball teams anyway that it was kind of discussed. Maybe they can claim that it's, they're just talking about one of their attributes, that they're very brave. Yeah, people. they might want to change the picture then. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, yeah, and the mascot and logo and yeah. Touche. Yeah. Actually, one of the things I noticed while I was going through and doing the This Week in History sort of thing Five years ago on the 8th of July, the Redskins actually had the trademark vacated on grounds that it may cause offence to Native Americans. So it's actually five years on. and The writing's been on the wall for a while. We're only just getting to that stage now and not before time. So Nathan, I also noticed that Pat Mahomes signed a, a mammoth deal. He sure did. Now this one was definitely broken by a Shefty, Adam Schefter for ESPN. The 24-year-old has inked an extension with the Kansas City Chiefs that will pay him $720 million Australian. I can't recall the US figure. I apologize for that. Lots. Uh, from 2022 through to 2031. And it smashed the $612 million record previously signed by Mike Trout in the Major League Baseball in 2018. Uh, Russell Wilson previously had the NFL record for richest deal with $200 million, which was a four-year deal. So Mahomes has well and truly been the toast of the league for a couple of seasons now. He had 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns in a record-setting season in 2018 when he became the MVP that year. His stats weren't as good last year, but of course he came home with the silverware last year, so that's a bit better. In a time when we're talking about shrinking salary caps and teams potentially folding, this is a huge chunk of money. Yeah, it actually tied the biggest deal in sports history. There you go. With one Floyd Mayweather. Um, but there's actually a possibility that it could reach as high as 503 million US, which is just absurd. There's... So the, the, the weekly pay would be $1.4 million per week. That's so, what this deal would net him. So about, I think, again, that's an Australian figure. So about $200,000 a day. Yeah, yeah. However, it must be said, in the NFL, it's not like the NBA where you never suit up again and you can still earn your pay. Contracts are not guaranteed in the NFL. So for whatever reason, he does fall off a cliff. They could cut him. But I think the minimum amount is still something like 200 mil or something. He'll still, even if he never plays another game, he'll still earn a pretty penny. And it reminds me of uh, Magic Johnson signing a 25-year, $25 million deal way back in the 80s. I didn't know about that, yeah. actually. Yeah, there you Inter- go. Interesting. And then you compare that to Michael Jordan's one-year, $25 million yeah, deal well, in yeah. 1996, yeah. which probably partly derailed the Bulls. In soccer news, the A-League, well, they're called the A-League, but they get an F because (laughs) the the remainder of the 2019-20 season is still well up in the air. There's only one match, a trans-Tasman battle between Sydney FC and Wellington Phoenix. That's the one versus three. We'll be going ahead this Friday, but it's anyone's guess from there. Yeah, it's really interesting. The Victorian teams have been really screwed over in this. They've tried multiple times to enter New South Wales and the ACT to start their hub life. 
they've got no confidence in the FFA from what I understand. There's potential they could boycott the rest of the season. They've put in some pretty serious demands I mean, in terms of being provided with fair and reasonable notice of departures from Victoria, which is getting harder and harder as the days go by, unfortunately. They want full briefings to be provided by the FFA to players, outlining all relevant travel, all accommodation, all high performance and training plans, and so on and so forth. I mean, they're not huge demands. I guess they're just fair and reasonable, but... It's, oh, yeah. Well, I it, mean, they're, they're strange times and they yeah, need to be looked after. But it's it's very much looking like this could be a very, very quick end to the, the season, unfortunately. And It's just such a shame after last week with the great news of Australia co-hosting the Women's World Cup in a couple of years or a few years, 2023. It's soccer's looking in dicey shape in this country, isn't it? It is. Bit? It is. And, and especially also when you consider the fact that the EPL's just started up again and, and seems to be going fairly well. Besides, the, In a country with far more cases. E- exactly. I mean, aside from the the weekly, what it seems like a weekly VAR drama, nothing this week, which is quite exciting, but it's yeah, it's just crazy that in a country with so few people comparatively in such a, a huge surface area that we can't get this right. Should we move to the AFL? Let's do it. So, I guess Eddie Maguire got his right of reply on Wednesday night's footy classified. Did you get a chance to look at that one after the uh, steel side bottom comments? Yeah, I did see that. I, I found this really, really interesting watching Eddie kind of get backed into a corner. And there's that old adage where if you back an animal into a corner, the only place it can sort of go is straight back out at you. And, and he snapped. He absolutely snapped. He stormed off the off the set for a good few minutes. Do you think that was serious? Like, when he came back, he claimed he was going to get the balls because later on in the show they were talking about the glossy balls, which is, you know, there's been ball problems in the AFL. It felt contrived to me. And obviously he was pretty upset and a bit rattled, but it, it still, it just, it was odd. It almost, I dare say, it felt like a ratings kind of... It did feel like half and half, and it very much created clickbait the next day. I mean, the yep. first thing I saw on news.com.au was this dramatic line about Eddie storming yep. out. And, and you can call him what you like, but he's very media savvy. Oh, he is. He's incredibly smart. He knows He knows where the cameras are at all times, and yep. he knows how to work them. But yep. it probably was a bit staged. I mean, you could see that he was taken aback by a lot of the questioning, and very persistent questioning by Caro. By Caro, yeah, she was she was all over him, and she wasn't letting him answer the questions. I we spoke about this earlier in the week, and I honestly think the smart thing she could have done was just stand back and let him hang himself. I agree. Sometimes you just you give him the rope, and then yeah. But I think Caro often gets derided a little, and I dare say sometimes it's simply because she's a woman, and some people just don't like women in sport. I'm going to put it out there. I don't think she's as bad as what a lot of people say. And I think it's gutsy to go to such a media behemoth for Channel 9 and take him to task. Hmm. So, Look, the, But I do agree. She should have let him answer some yeah, questions. The round of questioning she had was absolutely fine. And as, as an investigative journalist, that's the sort of stuff that you would expect from her. I thought she delivered the questions well, but take the step back and yeah. allow that silence, allow him to, to squirm a little bit. Look, Eddie's just doing what he should be doing. He's standing up for his own football team, whether he's being a hypocrite or not. He doesn't want Steel Sidebottom to be missing games. He doesn't want his players to be put through the rear for, for all of these things. And unfortunately, yeah, it, it has been a bit hypocritical, but I can understand why he's doing it because it's it's his life. You know, F- Collingwood Football Club is Eddie. That's, that's Well, the it. onus then is on Channel 9 or Fox Footy or Collingwood to say, choose one, mate, and it will probably never happen. So the it hypocrisy won't. and the conflict of interest will continue. It will. It definitely will. 
A few injuries before we look at the games individually, Shui. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, another week, another bunch of hammies. So just quickly running through them. Mitch Duncan and Quinton Narkel both had hamstrings in the Geelong-Brisbane game. Uh, we had Jonathan Patton do his very early in the Collingwood Hawthorne game. I was very emotional about it. Too. He, he was, he was. So I think it's a pretty nasty one. Um, Will Kelly's elbow injury for Collingwood—that was hard to watch as yeah, well. Yeah, running off like a rag doll, kind of. Yeah. You could see flailing. the arm just kind of went limp as soon as he landed. We had a concussion. Well, we had a couple of concussions actually. Darcy Tucker's concussion in the Frio St Kilda game, which led to a suspension. Thankfully, nothing in the West Coast Adelaide game. Happy days for me. And we've gone from not needing bigs to just not needing players. Yeah, this is a really, really sad one. Joey Kennedy did a medial ligament. He's going to miss at least six weeks. About five minutes in. Five minutes in. And then Isaac Heaney dislocated his ankle and ruptured his medial ligament. So he'll be back in 2021, unfortunately. So. And he hurt his ankle about five minutes after Joey Kennedy, it felt like. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was still the first quarter. And he bravely went back on, but then sacrificed his season as a result, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. And unfortunately for Heaney, it's, it's a bad result. Hindsight's 2022, of course. But uh, yeah. It is. We're already one man down at the very beginning of the match in a rainy weather game. Well, that's it. Aside from losing all of your tools, you've now lost arguably two of your best three players. So Tom Papley is well and truly on his own now. and Luke yeah. Parker becomes even more important. But... And Parker was a bit quiet, actually. He was a bit disappointing. But we'll get to the games. Yeah, it might be time to hit the reset button for the, for the season for the Swans, unfortunately. Um, Port GWS, Cam Sutcliffe did a hamstring. Daniel Lloyd had a concussion. Um, Mark Murphy in the Carlton Western Bulldogs game had probably one of the most innocuous injuries you would see. Did a hip, literally just standing on his own, two metres away from anyone. He bounced on the spot and then just kind of pulled up lame, which was a bit weird. Um, And Paddy Cripps, I think, has a sore shoulder after a a, a bad tackle, I guess. Which is a real shame because after talking about Cade Simpson last week, another interesting Carlton stat, this is the first time in his career that Paddy Cripps has been in the top eight. So there's your reward, (laughs) mate, an injury. There you go. Oh dear. Roundup of the games. So a remarkable third quarter was the difference between Geelong and Brisbane. Brisbane actually winning at halftime, but ending up going down 73 to 46. Yeah, geez, doesn't this just continue the run of the form team getting rolled after Port Adelaide last week and Collingwood the week before that? As you said, the third quarter, well and truly the story for the Cats. Seven goals, three, 45 to zero goals, one, one. Wow. Turning a 10 point deficit into a 34 point lead at three quarter time. I mean, Geelong smashed them in the possessions, plus 83, plus 64 in uncontested possessions, and plus 30 in marks. This absolutely sets up a cracker of a first game in Perth next week between Geelong and the team we're about to talk about, Collingwood. Yeah, so while Hawthorne rested Sean Burgoyne, Will Kelly joined the first kick, first goal club in a 59-27 to match, Collingwood the victors. Yeah, utter dominance for most of the night by the Pies, to the point where Hawthorne actually kicked their lowest score under Alistair Clarkson, albeit with shortened quarters. <laughs> Look, 27 doesn't win many games. I'm going to give you a question on the spot, Nathan. Have a guess when the last time a team won with 27 points or less. <sighs> well, I remember on the front bar last week they were talking about a game where first to two goals won. Okay. Uh, but I, I won't guess, I don't know. Do tell. 1927 grand final. Oh. Between Collingwood and Richmond. Collingwood won 25 to 13. Grand so, finals are often a bit low, lower scoring. They can That's be. That's an interesting one. Yeah, two goals, 13 as well. So not particularly great kicking. So for Hawthorne, just too much side to side possession football, minimal forward movement. 91 uncontested marks for Hawthorne, only 32 inside 50s. I can actually remember one passage of play late in, in the game where Tom Mitchell put a fantastic hand pass through the corridor to the run of Isaac Smith. 
leads inside forward 50 to Jack Gunston, who kicks a goal. So just not enough of that. And I, I really think this is where a lot of people are questioning Clarko's game plan. So, And Burgoyne was a big out as well, you know, resting because of the shrunk schedule. And he's like, what, 37 or something? 82 or whatever. Yeah. He's, he definitely was a big out for them. So look for Collingwood. Adam Trelaw continues to be fantastic. 35 touches, as were most of Collingwood's midfield. And I really love the look of Atu Basina Valagi. He looks really, really great. Nice and quick through the lines. I like the sound of your pronunciation too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took a few goes to, uh, <laughs> to learn that one, I'll be honest. But one of the really interesting uh, things for me, actually, the last 22 scoring shots in that game produced three goals, 19. Wow. Which is, which is just crazy. Wow. Especially considering the first nine scoring shots produced eight goals, one. So a real tale of almost two halves in yeah. terms of the, the scoring shots. But... No, look, Collingwood, after the probably the week or fortnight from hell, really bounced back nicely, and it was nice to see them, I guess, back to what we expect from them. Brody Meyercheck moving forward as well, I thought was a, was a great move. Unfortunately, not a huge amount from Mason Cox. Yeah, well, this is an interesting one. How important is the US market for the AFL? Well, I mean, it's interesting. We've seen the AFL dabble in the Chinese market for a little while. Uh, Port Adelaide have been quite strong in sort of going across and playing games in China. The American market could potentially be huge, especially with all, obviously, the fact that COVID is still so rampant over there. Well, this is the thing. So I've always scoffed at this and I've always thought, why would we bother? They've got their sports. They're not going to be interested at all. And apparently there is a bit of interest in California, for example. But COVID changed everything. And so with so little live sport around the globe, all of a sudden, as we've talked about in previous weeks, the AFL is being shown, being shown their live. People are picking teams. People have rooting interests all of a sudden. And so with the NBA restart happening soon and with their own sports coming back in the US. Touch wood. I'm touching wood majorly. It's not my wood, the chair wood, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with, with the NBA coming back soon and therefore competition, there's only a couple more weeks left where AFL will be one of the few sports that they can show. So I think it'd be great if, if hopefully Mason Cox has a couple of good games just to lift the profile a little bit more. Mm. It's it's interesting when you think about it. I mean, how many people live in America? About 330 million or something. And then you you look at what the potential cost is of an AFL league pass. I'm not saying all 300 and whatever million people are going to get them, but even if a very small percentage do, there's... Even if 1,000 just did. Exactly. There's huge revenue potentials just through league passes and, and, and that sort of thing. So it's a really great option. And look, Americans are sport mad. They love their sports just as much as Australians do. So that market, I think, is a really, really great captive market right now. And you're right, the, the hourglass is very, very slowly running out. So yeah, they now's probably the time to get onto it. And, and they really should be using Pat McAfee as... Yes, as the, the league ambassador in America. Be really, really smart. So. so he kicked a goal. He had a nice, adept little uh, ruck tap two in his forward 50, but he didn't do a hell of a lot more. So let's hope that the Big Cox uh, has a better game the next few weeks while there are more eyeballs watching over there. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of Cox, I think a nice condensed package would be would be smart. <laughs> In what was probably match of the round, Freo defeated St Kilda 79-73 in well and truly a tale of two halves. Yeah, I think we really saw the best and worst of both sides in this game. St Kilda absolutely untouchable, opening up a six-goal lead at quarter time, which was pretty much when I turned the radio on and thought, well, that's game over. Then we see the Dockers kick 10 of the next 11, and then the Saints come back and kick the next three to tie it up. And then Lockie Schultz provided the difference with with a goal in the biggest comeback in Fremantle's history, off about maybe an eight metre pass, which I know is your <laughs> is your real pet hate at the moment. Ah, uh, yes, they always lead to goals. They do, but uh, Sonny Walters was was 
fairly brilliant for most of the game. 26 touches and 8 clearances. His brain fart 50-metre penalty very nearly cost free of the game. And Did you see him kick the ball 40 metres the wrong way from the opening bounce? Well, it's funny you say that. So when they won it, inverted commas, out of the square, and he kicked it towards St Kilda's goal, I thought, jeez... They're in for a long day. And then St Kilda kicked all those goals and you thought, they're in for a really long day. So full credit to them. They showed a hell of a lot of heart. Fifey came back much earlier than we expected. Maybe it lifted them, I don't know. It was a sensational win for the Dockers. It really was. And I suppose that leads me into a question. Nat Fife obviously looked underdone, I guess, for a fair bit of the game. He's usually one of the best clearance guys in the AFL. Didn't attend a single centre bounce in the fourth quarter. The coaching staff said that it was a match-up decision. I can't help but think that that's a bit of BS, unfortunately. So I guess it goes back to my comment I made last week when you asked about a similar thing. If he's the sort of bloke that will lift the team, then maybe they thought it was, and and they thought that he wasn't going to re-injure. Then maybe it was a good decision. I don't know. I guess the coming weeks will will tell whether or not it was a flash in the pan or whether it will work. Yeah, and look, playing the Eagles next week, I can't imagine that will work. The Eagles do have a lot of pretty decent defenders. Someone like a McGovern probably would go to Fife and. If Fife doesn't have the speed to burn him off, it's probably not going to go so well. But look, we'll see how that all goes. Speaking of the Eagles, uh, I guess it can only be said that Nick Nat looked lazy and unfit in a 67-34 <laughs> victory over oh, the Adelaide dear, Crows. Dear me. No, look, a fairly clinical performance by West Coast. They, Adelaide was slightly better than last week. They just unfortunately aren't good enough in the AFL right now, but... I think for the Eagles, very, very happy to get out of Queensland. It was comfortable most of the day. A little three-goal burst to start the third quarter probably really put the game away. A lot more meaningful effort from the likes of Brody Smith and the Crouch brothers, but a 49-24 to inside 50 count and a bit of a smashing in the centre clearances. It just meant that the Eagles forwards had more chances. Tim Kelly and Dom Sheed were fantastic, 24 touches each. 18 touches and a goal for Jack Redden. Happy days. He had a better performance, <laughs> he which is you. great. And yeah, in the battle of uh, Nick Nat and Riley O'Brien, it was quite good. Nick Nat smashed him in the clearances, but I really liked O'Brien's effort around the ground. He had 19 touches, 9 marks, and 7 tackles, which from a ruckman... All above average. Is very, for, for very His good. averages, very, his very personal good. averages. And of course, when I say Nick Nat looked lazy and unfit, I was obviously quoting... Yeah, obviously it's a joke. But yeah, as you said, one of the best moments of the season with Nat and you were giving O'Brien a new... I believe it was a Samsung, about a $1,500 phone after the Strategy Gate scandal of last week. Well, we haven't talked about that yet, Stewie. Yeah, so for anyone who's been living under a rock for the last week and didn't actually see this, a very, very interesting moment where Riley O'Brien had been taking notes, I guess, in terms of the lead-up to his battle with Nick Nat, decided he wanted to to put together a whole bunch of bullet points on how he was going to take him down, including the aforementioned note where he's a little bit uh, a bit lazy and you can take him around the ground and, and pick up those possessions. Unfortunately for him, he has a he had a broken phone and he kind of blamed it on the, the phone and said that it accidentally posted it to Twitter, which was very quickly picked up by everybody in the Twitter world. It was also very quickly deleted, but unfortunately... Well, at least he didn't say his phone was hacked. That's the old one. That, this is uh, true. You know, so... This is true. I did see a picture of the phone and it was... It was. Smashed it to was. pieces. Yes, it I'm surprised was. you could even use the thing. But look, it was a really touching moment and Natanui could easily have taken huge offence to that and not wanted any part of him. But, you know, really nice sort of humorous oh, he's moment. He's a class guy, isn't he? He really is. He really is. Um, just a quick point as well, just in terms of how bad Adelaide are going right now. They're actually only averaging 35.6 points a game since the restart. So they're just not going well. Adelaide in dire straits. Poor Matty Nicks. One of the few teams looking worse than my Swans. 
Uh, Melbourne 80 defeated the Gold Coast 63 without Raul not looking nearly as world-beating. Yeah, look, great news for the Demons. They've had a, a fairly rough few weeks. And yeah, as you said, a win over the Rowless Suns. It was a fairly close game throughout the second half. The Demons led by three goals in the second quarter, but the Suns actually managed to keep it close. Maxi Gorm was sensational. 15 touches, 8 marks, 30 hitouts. Christian Petrarca, 25 touches and 2 goals. Wasn't overly efficient with the ball, but... He had a really, really massive goal late in the game, which kind of put the game away. Look, for the Suns, we saw the, the debut of Isaac Rankin. He looks really, really exciting. The former number three pick of the 2018 draft. 12 touches and probably three of the best debut goals you could ever imagine. Um, his second, which was this soccer out of a pack, probably be one of the finalists for goal of the year. And while we're on the, the topic of good news stories, so nice to see Harley Bennell kick his first goal in three years and probably even nicer to see the Demons mob him after he kicked it. You like those stories, don't you? You do. Speaking of good stories, Essendon continue to impress with a 67-53 to 53 defeat over North. Yeah, the Bombers just continue on their merry way. The fourth win of five games for the season. Look, not overly convincing against the North Melbourne side who are really struggling right now, but look, four points are four points in this. And that's true of a lot of their wins. The Dockers win at the beginning of the season, the win against the Swans. So so they have eked a few through, but hey, like you say, four points is four points. Yeah, and look, it's something that we talk about a lot in sports. You don't always have to win pretty, and the really great teams are the ones that find a way to win when they're not maybe playing the best football that they can. The most insane stat for me, though, North Melbourne, three marks inside 50 from 47 inside 50s. Yikes. It just underlines how poor their ball use is right now. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about how frustrated Benny Brown must be right now. I actually almost can't believe that they had 18 scoring shots considering, but... Look, great efforts from Andrew McGrath, Devin Smith, Darcy Parrish, David Zaharakis. They, a lot of really great performances from uh, from the Bombers players. Dylan Shield, on the other hand, was pretty average and uh, copped two weeks for a, a nasty little bump running past the ball. One last little question for you, though. What's your take on Luke McDonald putting his hands over his mouth and nose while talking to Connor McKenna at quarter time? Uh, it was bound to happen, wasn't it? And I guess when we covered this, when the news hit that he maybe was positive, I referenced a Cam Mooney tweet where he said that this could be the beginning of the end of his career if he cops too much. Just wait till crowds come back, mate. Oof. He'll cop it. So, look, it's, it's in poor taste, but it was bound to happen. Yeah, it's not. A I great, don't condone it, but yeah, not a great look. I imagine he'll probably have a please explain from the league fairly shortly. Is that the sort of thing that would deserve a, a uh, fine? Do you reckon, Stewie? Yeah, I think a fine definitely. It doesn't have to be a huge fine. Five hundred bucks is fine. Nothing over the top. I mean, you don't want to compare it with the fines you get for melees and those sorts of things. But yeah, I, I think it, there definitely needs to be a deterrent for that sort of thing as well because it's McKenna's not positive. He's he well, that's right. negative. That's so. right. And maybe in that sense, it's a bit of a joke. And if he was positive, then maybe it would hurt a bit more and it would be mm. harder to deal with. But yeah. it's it's a distraction. But the thing I heard as well, it sort of goes back to the, the Sam Mitchell injection thing where, with, with, with the Essendon bombers as well. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to that. It's just in poor taste. Sam Mitch was such a classy guy. It seems out of character, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. Port back in the winner's circle was 63-46 to defeat over the GWS, who are now in the loser's circle. Yeah, honestly, Port just a little bit better on the day here. I mean, they came out of the gates fairly well. Didn't really put the game away. GWS came right the way back to, to take the lead in this game, but Port just lifted when they were challenged, and they proved that last week was really an aberration. Interestingly, the top five possession getters were all GWS players. So once again, it goes back to your point from the other week that possessions don't always equal wins. Yep. So eye test is important too. You can chip it around in your backline forever. Exactly. Speaking of chipping around in your backline, Richmond thirty-four defeated Sydney twenty-six. 
as the injuries mounted once again for my swans, as did the losses. Honestly, this game was like watching your parents kiss. <laughs> you feel like you should be supportive, but just ill. <laughs> Honestly, this is the second lowest scoring match in the AFL era, just ahead of the 36-22 win by the Brisbane Bears against Footscray at a boggy Witten Oval in round 16-96. Again, 16-minute quarters. True, but it was just horrible. It was woeful. You, you don't know whether the extra four minutes in each quarter would have done too much anyway. Oh, it was woeful. So things got off to a controversial start with Jack Rewalt being gifted the opening goal after Callum Mills allowed himself to be pushed over the goal line for a rush behind. Uh, let's talk about this a little bit, because I personally like the decision, and I know you absolutely hate it. I'd like the decision if it was the rule. I hate a decision when it's the wrong decision by the rule book. So let me read to you free kick for conceding a deliberate rush behind. A defender cannot deliberately concede a rush behind when he is not under any pressure from the attacking team. The defender may still deliberately concede a rush behind, however, if he is under pressure from an attacker. Two hands on the chest pushing you over the line. If that's not pressure, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, my argument really... I guess it's exactly what one of the commentators, I think it was Luke Hodge, said. If this happened on the boundary line, we would hopefully all be asking for deliberate. Having said that, yeah, I don't disagree that by the letter of the law, it should have been a rush behind, because it should have been, but I think it's good for the game, and if the player has that much time to piss fight around with it and doesn't get rid of it properly, we should be looking at deliberate. It just sucks that it potentially cost you guys a chance at winning the game. And Obviously, if it happened to an Eagles player, I would be fuming about it too. So. Oh, look, we're probably playing for draft picks now, so it's probably good we lost in a weird sense, especially now with Joey and, and Zach out. But again, you know, the rule is the rule. And geez, it's a harsh penalty too. Like, shouldn't it be a ball up? A ball up, up, a think, ball yeah. up at the top of the square. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you on that one completely. And what do you think of Damien Hardwick accusing the Swans of making the game farcical, um, going about sort of John Longmire deploying an extra defender? Well, I'm glad you asked this, and we didn't actually even talk about this. But but I, let me put something to you. Let's say Richmond were down to their fourth string ruckman. They've lost Trent Cochman in the first five minutes, and Dusty Martin hurts his ankle. And decides to play on. I see some parallels here between them and the Sydney Swans. Granted, Tom Lynch played with a hurt thumb. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, coaches are in the business for winning games. They're not in the business for making things look pretty. And look, I might be sounding like a bit of a homer here defending the Swans. And actually, I'm not defending Longmire as coach in a way because... Well, I am on this occasion, but not because I love him. I actually wondered if if when his contract came up, it might have been time for a new voice. And we paid a pretty penny to keep him on the books. So this isn't because I'm a big Longmire fan. I mean, I don't hate him either. But with one bloke down, with a fourth string Ruckman, as I say, with none of our bigs... He just did what he thought he had to do to try and win the game, and he nearly did. And as you say, if it weren't for a bogus call by the letter of the law, it could have it could have game, yeah. it could have been a different result. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously the league is trying to make things a little bit more attractive and a bit more open, but yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, if Damien Hardwick did this. I'm sure he'd be playing a very, very different tune. But... Is he breaking ranks on the coaching fraternity? They normally look out for each other a little bit. Yeah. I'm off him. Uh, well, I'm off you're him. off him. Fair I'm enough. off him. Ah, we've given him enough time. Let's let's move on. Well, actually, I, I will I will say one more thing. So, Stewie, to use a phrase you used before, beggars can't be choosers, there's a lot of talk about the game being ugly and rubbish and this, that and the other. Take it away. Well, exactly. Are we all being choosers a little bit when we shouldn't be in this current state of affairs? Very much so, yeah. I mean, there's nine games every weekend. Choose one or two. If the Swans game is shit... Flick over. Flick it over. Yeah. 
Yep. Exactly. There's, and there's not much else to watch in the sports world, so... Exactly. No, I, I, I don't disagree with that either. Then finally, our final game of the round, which kind of, I guess, put some, a sweet taste in everyone's mouths after a sour taste of the previous game. Carlton won 103 to the Western Bulldogs, 51. Eddie kicked four goals. Carlton continuing to look great. Yeah, Eddie Betts. Look, I did miss this one. It, it seems to have gone completely against the script. We were talking last week about how the forwards for Carlton were abysmal. Most of them had no goals and seven or less possessions, but Eddie Betts, four goals, I think three to Harry McKay, a couple to Mitch McGovern. This was a, a completely flipped script, which is fantastic. And again, top five possession getters for the game, all Western Bulldogs players. There you go. Good for your fantasy team, but maybe not for your real team. That's it. So now, great to see Carlton back in the in the winner's circle. The round eight schedule is out. We might look at that going forward. One other little thing just from this round to tie a bow on it, Stewie. All home teams won. Hmm. Doesn't mean much because they're all playing they're out all of their away. home state. All home teams won away. There yeah, go. that's right. So all home teams won away. So what a bizarre season this continues to be and all the wonderful stats that it brings up. The only reason I know this is because I got a footy tipping update saying that I'd got zero out of nine. And that's because I haven't been tipping. <laughs> I forgot to tip in round two. And so I just thought, bugger it. I, I'm not going to. So I, I let, and because you weren't doing it too. So I just let the tipping fall by the wayside. And you couldn't tip zero if you tried. No, no, not so without, not so it'll be interesting to see what my what my scores are, even though I'm not actually tipping it. So Stewie, to finish us off this week, as we always do, what are you amped for next week? Yeah, there's some really juicy games in the AFL this weekend. I'm probably honestly most excited for Essendon and the Bulldogs at Metricon on Friday night. Essendon, obviously, they've been the surprise packet of the season so far. And I was going to talk about the resurgence of the young dogs, but certainly after they had their pants pulled down against Carlton, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how a younger team responds against a team that's going really well right now. So I guess that's really what I'm looking forward to. How about yourself? Well, Stewie, I was going to say the second test of Windy's England, but I'll say what I thought you were going to say. I'm stoked to see, granted not the full stadium, but 30,000 screaming fans to see the Derby next Sunday. Yeah, I'm not sure how amazing a game this is going to be, actually. But, uh, look, it's great to have footy back in Perth. And, obviously, I'll still watch it incredibly excited. And, hopefully, it will actually end up being a pretty decent game. And the last Derby was about a 90-point game. So, hopefully, it's a little bit closer than that. But, look, I I just love the way Essendon are playing right now. And, for the most part, how the Bullies are playing. So, that's kind of why I chose that. But you're right, the second test in the Black Crap series will be very interesting to see. Until then, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.